Yeah. Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 35 through 41 this evening. Mark 4, 35 through 41. Just by way of introduction, a brief orientation. We've just finished a section, the first part of Luke 4, or most of Luke 4, is about four kingdom parables. Four kingdom parables. So the preaching of the kingdom, there's four different types of soil, and then we're told the kingdom is like a lamp, that it's not going to remain secret forever, but it will go out. The kingdom is like a seed uh, that gets scattered and then it grows, and we don't know how, but God is at work through that. And the kingdom is like a mustard seed, that it starts out small and humble origins, but it ultimately becomes a kingdom that fills the whole earth. Okay, so four kingdom parables. And now from here through the end of chapter five, we see four kingdom miracles, if I can put it that way. Um, Four kingdom miracles, four kingdom. Yeah, that's the way I'm going to put it. The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God about? Well, it's God's rule. It's God's sovereignty. It's God's power. It's his kingdom. And so in these miracles, we see God's power, his rule, his sovereignty being worked through Jesus. Four miracles. And in these four, Jesus confronts in turn nature, demonic powers, sickness, and death itself. So we see him confront four enemies and he beats off each one. So that's where we're at in the bigger structure. But we also need to pay attention to this. The end of this that we're about to read ends with a question. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Who is this? I've actually taken that question as the title for this whole Mark series. Not that we really use series titles, but uh, that's kind of the title for the series. Who is this? Who is Jesus? You might recall that back in chapter two, the scribes and the Pharisees asked some questions. Their questions were, why does he say he speak like this? Why does he forgive sins? Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Okay, those questions are, why is he behaving like this? But if you think about the logic of that, they assume they know who he is. Here's a sort of untrained rabbi who's around teaching people. We know who he is, and we know how a rabbi should act, but he's not acting in that way. So why is he doing these things? And of course, they come up with their hypotheses that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Do you remember what those were? Yep, the family thought he was out of his mind, and the scribes thought he was demon-possessed, right? So they're saying, he's a rabbi, but he acts like a crazy rabbi. He must be crazy, okay? But their questions are just about why he's acting like this. The disciples now get to a more fundamental question. They're not saying, why does he do this? Who then is this? They don't get the answer yet, but they're on to at least asking the right question. The question, fundamental question about Jesus' identity. Well, let's read the short passage and reflect on it together. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was asleep in the stern, on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, don't you even care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be quiet, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? 
Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and seas obey him? Indeed, who is this? Let's pray. Lord, use your word to show us your son, Jesus Christ, the word that came from heaven to point us back to you. As we reflect on this passage, may we wrestle with the disciples' question, who then is this? May your spirit be at work within us, that we wouldn't respond like the disciples, only with fear, but also with faith. Amen. In 1986, the hull of a fishing boat was found in the mud on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, about five miles north of Capernaum. So in the rough area uh, that Jesus is from here, carbon dating places that boat to somewhere in the region 120 BC to 40 AD, right in the time period of Jesus. The boat was 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet deep. There's a deck covering the front part and the back part of the boat, and there's space for four rowers, two on each side that would row the boat. So there wasn't a a, a sail, but but used rowers, and it could hold up to 15 people. Likely a boat like this is what we ought to be picturing. We have a couple mosaics from that area that have pictures of boats from several centuries after Jesus, but show a similar design of a boat. Likely a similar boat here in Mark 4. You might recall that the four parables began in chapter 4 with Jesus teaching by the seaside, but the crowd was so large that he got into a boat and had them go out to sea. And then you might recall that the parables kind of jump around then the way this this goes. It, It then goes to them, Jesus being alone with the disciples, telling some other parables that may be on the same occasion. Verses 33 through 34 then ends with a general summary that he taught them with parables such as these as they were able to hear, but in private he explained things to his disciples. Okay, now verse 35, on that day, they're back in the boat. We're told that it's evening and Jesus proposes to cross to the other side. He doesn't give a reason, but we've seen throughout Mark so far, Jesus has a desire to teach broadly throughout various villages throughout the area of Palestine. And so it's likely that they're leaving the crowd and going to teach somewhere else. It says they left the crowd and took him with them in their boat just as he was. They don't go back to shore to prepare or anything, but say, all right, let's set out. Here we go. Well, the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by high hills. 30 miles to the north, Mount Hermon is actually 9,000 feet, so it's quite an elevation change in those 30 feet there with these high hills round about. And of course, they're not that far from the Mediterranean, even uh, uh, a matter of miles. You have pressure differences, warm, cold interchange that regularly interact to create storms, famously bad weather on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, modern Galilean fishermen refer to these storms as Sharkia, the shark that comes on the Sea of Galilee to sink ships. So it's a common feature. But these are experienced sailors, at least some of them. I mean, Matthew's a tax collector. He doesn't know anything about boats. But Peter, his brothers, these are, these are fishermen. They're used to storms. But we're told this great windstorm arises. Waves break over the bow, and the boat begins to take on water. What hope of surviving, then, do the disciples have? 
What's their hope here? What are their options? It's no wrong answers, just, just reflection question. Kids? They're ho- they're, the ghost? The, what? They're toast. Okay, no hope. No hope. From an experienced sailor. <laughs> Once you're taken on water, things look bad. Is that what you're saying, Chris? The, yeah. Especially if you're only drafting four feet, that's not a lot of, a lot of boat to hold water. Yeah, other, uh, yeah, Abram? Sorry. <laughs> Didn't realize his hand was up. Yeah, John? Well, they knew enough that they thought Jesus could do something. Yeah, that's interesting. They know enough to turn to Jesus, although when he does something, it freaks him out. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's great. So they, they, they have some level of faith and thought that Jesus can do something here. Well, where is Jesus? Yeah, Lulu. He's sleeping on a pillow in a storm. Yeah. Maybe he's under this sort of deck, tucked out of the weather a little bit, but he's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? Yeah, Christian? Because he's not afraid. He's not afraid, that's right. Yeah, not afraid. And Abram? Because he's tired. He's tired. (laughs) He's been teaching all day by the seashore. And as we're going to see next week, when he arrives on the other side, he faces an army of demons, okay? He's tired. We see his humanity here in this story. In verse 38, they come to him, they wake him up, and they say, Rabbi, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, my Greek's not good enough to pick this up, but the commentaries say that the way they use the Greek here is actually even a little bit rude. It's very abrupt. Okay, it's the heat of the moment, fishermen a bit hacked off that their best hope is sleeping and not helping, okay? Um, So they shake him awake. What does he do? He wakes up and he does two things. He rebukes the wind, and he says, peace be still to the store, to the, to, 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 to the sea, rather. Uh, not the store, I don't know what that's about. Yeah, Nate. I'm wondering if um, they were looking to him to, to do a miracle, or if it's like, hey, you're in the boat. Like, yeah. We need to bail here. Like, yeah. Come help us. Or, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think, um, and we'll, we'll get jumping ahead a little bit. I mean, the story's a little bit modeled on the story of Jonah, and Jonah's also asleep in the ship. And there the sailors shake him awake, and they say, why aren't you calling out to your God? Maybe your God's the one. Maybe your God will listen and answer. Like, we're, at this point, we're appealing to all gods, whatever religion. Uh, uh, we're not concerned about that, but just everybody should be praying. So maybe they're thinking, you know, we do see Jesus in prayer. He has some special connection to God. Maybe he can pray. Yeah, good, good comment. So just yeah, two things. I yeah. think of the same as Nate. It's, I don't think they were looking for something spectacular. Yeah. It's like be at a job site. Yeah. Your buddy in here and do some work yeah, you. yeah. Start bailing or at least pray if that's your thing. Yeah, something, yeah. What is unusual then about how Jesus calms the storm? That, that sets it up well. Maybe they're expecting him to pray. Maybe they're expecting him to bail water. Yeah, Lulu? That he talks directly to the storm. He doesn't pray, does he? He doesn't say, God, please stop the storm, please deliver us, anything like that. He speaks directly to the storm. Then he asks two questions to the disciples. Why are you afraid? And have you no faith? Or rather, or perhaps, where is your faith? Now, have you no faith? Jesus is not saying, if you had enough faith, you could have calmed the storm on your own and I could have kept sleeping. You know, why are you even bothering me? That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying, don't you trust me yet? Haven't things started to click for you enough yet that you can weather one storm? And how then do the disciples respond? Great fear. With great fear. I think the King James here is they were much afraid. Yeah, great fear. Okay, that's interesting. Has it said anything about how the disciples, I mean, we can infer from the way they're acting, but has it said anything about their fear up till now in the storm? Yeah, I mean, we can infer that they're afraid from the storm, but this is the first time Mark says explicitly that they're afraid in this scenario. So that's interesting. The the weather stops, and now they're greatly afraid. I was thinking, um, they had seen Jesus do miracles before, but they were with people. Yeah. And you can kind of write those off as, you know, maybe it would have happened to this person anyway. Yeah. People get sick and then they recover, or suddenly they can walk again. Yeah. This is different. Yeah, it is different. I think you're right. Changing the weather. You know, yeah. You're not dealing with a sick person here. This is, yeah. Yes, yeah, something something different happening here. Yeah. Yeah, Jan. Um, it says, "Don't you care that we're perishing?" Yeah. These are sailors. 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 Yeah. And if they're thinking they're perishing, they must be afraid. Yo. Yeah, I think they are afraid. But yeah. it's interesting. Mark highlights. Once Jesus does something, now they're very now they're afraid. afraid. So if we can put it this way, what's in the boat scares them more than the storm. Okay, Jesus is something different than they had thought. They don't yet know who Jesus is, but they're asking the right question. Okay, they're asking the right question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let's take up their question. Who is this then? Can you think of some other sea stories in the Bible? Anyone? Yeah, Abram? When the guy was swallowed by a whale. When Jonah's swallowed by a whale. Yeah, so what? there's some similarities there, aren't there? Jonah's also asleep in the boat. Also, yeah. when he um, took, when one of those guys took away water. When they go through the water. Great one. Okay, yep, both of those. So let's do Jonah first and then the Red Sea. Good job, guys. So Jonah... He falls asleep in the boat. They say to him, call out to your God. Perhaps he will save us. And then it says that the sailors, after the storm is calmed, they fear him or they they feared the Lord and sacrificed to him. The way it's written, it almost sounds like they're offering a sacrifice on the boat. But of course, an open fire on a boat is wooden boat is not a great idea. So probably means when they got to shore. But it's like immediately they're like, this is the true God that calmed the storm. How about, can you think of uh, someone speaking to the waters early on in the Bible? Moses? Noah? Noah. Noah yeah. yeah, even earlier. Even earlier, someone speaks to the waters. Does anyone? God at creation. God at creation. Let the waters uh, be separated to make room for dry land. Okay, so who speaks to waters in the Bible? God, the creator. And then uh, I, I, think, uh, I think Felix was pointing out Exodus. Israel passes through the water. Hear how, hear how Israel uh, uh, responds at the end of Exodus 14. The very last verse of that chapter. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. That's similar to the disciples. They feared. 
but they feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. We don't have that second line. Jesus says, have you no faith? They fear, but there's not quite, they're on the way, but it's not quite there. There's one other passage that actually uh, I'm going to read to you and keep your ears open for things that sound similar to what we've just read. This is Psalm 107, verses 23 through 32. Uh, Psalm 107, it's structured around, I think we actually sing a version of this sometimes here at the chapel. It's structured around four episodes where people are in need, so they're lost in the desert. Uh, I think they're in prison. Uh, And then the third episode that we're going to look at now is uh, uh, they're on the sea and run into trouble and they cry out to the Lord. But listen to this, Psalm 107, 23 through 32. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works of the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Do you guys hear anything in there that's similar to this Luke episode, or Mark episode? Uh, Luke's in the morning, Mark in the evening, yeah. Anything similar to the Mark episode there? Doesn't have to be profound. They're in a ship. There's a storm, storm. yep. They cry out to the Lord. And he stills the waters and he hushes the waves. Do you notice a difference? Who do they cry out to in, in the psalm? They cry out to the Lord. And who do the disciples cry out to? Yeah, Lulu? Jesus. To Jesus. Okay, is that actually a difference or not? No. Who is this? That's the question. Who is this? There's another difference. They were glad that the waters were quiet and that he brought them to their desired haven, so they give thanks to the Lord. Okay, they respond with gladness. The disciples as yet respond only with fear. Who is this then? Thinking about these Old Testament stories. Who speaks to the waters? Who stills the storm? Felix has it. God. Okay, so the disciples are asking, who is this? Okay. Jesus is more than simply a rabbi. They address him, teacher, rabbi. Don't you care? He is a teacher, that's true. But there's something more going on here. Together with the next story that we'll look at when he arrives at the other shore and fights this legion of demons, there's strong overtones of the Exodus. And the Exodus is the great saving event of the Old Testament when God brings Israel out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt and brings them out into the wilderness and then to the promised land. And Mark here is painting Jesus as leading a new exodus, a second exodus. Of course, that's what Isaiah promises in the second part of Isaiah. Make, way, make straight the way in the wilderness and all this language of the exodus that God's people will again pass through the wilderness. But who is Jesus delivering his people from? 
Is it simply from the Egyptians or the Romans, the modern equivalent? No, we're going to see in these four stories, he faces the powers of nature, the demonic, sickness, and death. We've already seen him forgive sins and deal with that as well, but it's a more profound deliverance even than Moses' exodus. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark has been leaving lots of clues for us in retrospect to pick up on. Who is this? We've seen people respond that he teaches with authority in a way that's different than other teachers they've heard. We've seen his power and authority over sickness to heal Peter's mother-in-law, various other individuals. We see now his his power and authority over nature. And as, as, as Chris pointed out, this is fundamentally a different kind of miracle than we've seen so far. We've seen that he usurps, or not really usurps, but he, he uses the power and authority to forgive sins even. Okay, so we're seeing Mark paint a picture of Jesus' divine identity here. This is the God of Israel come to deliver his people. Any other comments before we turn to prayer? Yeah, Lulu? So, like, after Jesus calms the storm, it's almost like the disciples are more afraid when there's no storm. Yep, more afraid when there's no storm. And they keep asking, who is this? And then we're going to see later in chapter 6, he goes to his hometown. And they say, where did this man get these things? What is his wisdom from? How is he doing these mighty works? And no one gets it until the very end of the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus breathes his last breath, the centurion who was watching saw it and said, truly this man was the son of God. It's only when he breathes his last breath that someone finally figures it out. And it's not one of the disciples, ironically. Mark has a lot of irony in the gospel. He had a great comment, Lulu. So maybe a practical thing, and I'm sure other people are thinking it. Applying it to our own lives, Jesus has power over nature. Yeah. And... He says, why are you so afraid? Why do we apply that to our lives? We have storms. We have actual physical storms. Yeah. Do we spiritualize this all, or is there a practical application? Yeah. There's physical storms. There's sickness. We just came through a pandemic. Yep. Yeah, so... Why are you so terrified? Does Jesus still ask us today, why are you so terrified? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a great comment, Albert. Uh, so two, two aspects. Uh, one is that certainly it's, God doesn't lose power. It's certainly within his power to heal, to stop pandemics, to stop storms. Um, uh, and I don't think in principle we need to say God will never do something like that again. On the other hand, uh, God creates the world in a way that it runs in a, in a consistent way so we can predict that when we plant a certain kind of seed, that kind of crop comes up, right? Uh, and if God was constantly intervening, in the natural world, it would be almost unpredictable. And so the miracles we see in the Bible, calming storms, all these sorts of things, serve a particular function. And it's, it does save the disciples from the storm. But the main function is not to save individuals. But the main function of miracles is always to point, teach us about God, to point to God himself. Um, and so in a sense, now that we have this testimony to Jesus... Jesus doesn't need to come calm a storm and show up in the clouds, you know, that kind of a thing to say, oh, I do believe in Jesus. So, so there is a, we are in a different situation. And I think pretty consistently as we read through the Bible, 
when God uses his power in what we might call a miraculous way, it, it is to help individuals because God is a God who saves his people and cares for his people, but all in a way that reveals himself to people. Um, and so I don't know, I mean, bringing COVID to an end, perhaps God did bring COVID to an end quicker uh, in ways, you know, guided the mutations of virus to make it less whatever, however that works. I don't, uh, I barely understand how algae works. So as I talked about this morning, but, uh, you know, you know, maybe, maybe God's hand was active in that in a way that we don't, don't fully discern, but it's hard to see how if it just stopped the next day, people would turn to faith in Jesus necessarily. They'd say, you know, it was a fluke. Does that answer kind of get at some of that? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, and that kind of comes back to the question this morning too, of like, you know, in some cases it seems like God does miraculously heal someone of cancer. And yet, what about all these other people that don't get healed? Why is, why is it so uneven and so unfair? Uh, yeah, Ruth. So is there a non-Christian response to life's difficulties? Because we recognize those that are here, so. Is fear a non-Christian response? Yeah, I mean, as Christians, should we not be afraid? Um, I think that we are afraid, but yeah, it's something that we should... Yeah, I mean, he's, putting the, he's pitting the two against each other. He's saying, why be so afraid? Yeah, and I think that definitely, um, I think that there is, should I turn off the microphone so it's not live stream? Not, <laughs> I mean, I think we, we're going through a season where it's, it's so hard because there's pitfalls on every side. And so there's people that want to cast off all government and we say, well, that's not the Christian way. But then there are people, um, you know, I'm I, down in Bellingham and you're walking down the street and you're thinking, this person's wearing two masks and they're on the street outdoors and they're not around anybody else. And you're thinking, well, what is, what is, what's going on there? Is this, is it fear? Is it, you know, what, what's going on there? And and so there are people that we just have to encourage and say, yeah, there is, we can have faith (laughs) that ultimately our final destiny is determined. Christ, the tower fell on Jesus, you know, to answer that question. So yeah, there is on both sides. Yes, Sarah. Yeah. Just the Psalms, you know, I mean, there's so much. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't think that's ever seen as negative per se. So I think maybe the right way to say it is it's not a position where we should be left. So the Psalms are a great example, Sarah, because you, you start in different spots, smash my enemy's teeth, but that's not where the Psalms leave us, that they're bringing us to a place of trusting better. And so, yeah. Um, that's a very human response, fear to situations, um, and some levels of fear play an important response. So, uh, you know, don't talk to strangers. That's something we teach our kids, that there is healthy fear to have about things. But at the same time, to be left in a situation where everything is characterized by fear is not uh, the sort of emotional maturity we're looking for. So, so we need to come out in the fear, grow in trust. I don't, it's holding things together. Yeah, Leslie. Yeah. Yep. Um, makes us human. Yep. Christ had those same emotions yep. as we walk this earth. It's what we do with those emotions. Like anger is not in itself a sin. It's yep. what we do with anger. Yep. Yeah. And what we do with fear and how we treat others out of fear say, yep. is where we sin. But yeah. fear itself isn't a sin. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That, yeah, how we. Um, and that's the difficulty of growing in faith is, is negotiating these things of how, yeah. how, do, you, how do you respond well. And, yeah. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, I was just thinking about again your sermon this morning, and and he, and he said, "Why are you so afraid?" He didn't say, "Why are you afraid?" Yeah. 
where you're so afraid and so yeah things happen calamities happen to drive us to Christ yeah to repent from our unbelief yeah you know maybe that's they need to repent from their unbelief yeah. that it's a fear beyond uh, that's unreasonable for the situation if yeah. Jesus is in the boat with you yeah yeah Jesus is in the yeah. boat what why didn't they wake him up before it got to such a critical you know, and say, what do we do, Lord? Yeah. You know, we're starting to get kind of scared. I think Dan and Nate maybe both had hands up. Or Go ahead, Dan. I was going to know that I had not perceived it as this way before, but when in verse 40 Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What's, what is he referring to? Is he referring to their response to the storm? Yeah. Or is he referring to the response to him? Oh, yeah. oh interesting. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Certainly when he's saying, have you still no faith? I think that's referring back to he's saying to them in private, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but from those outside. You know, in some sense he's revealing, he's trying to teach them this is what the kingdom of God's on about, and they're still not, it's not clicking for them. But yeah. Nate, did you have a comment then? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, the, the series of, stories of Jesus, every single one of them are things beyond our control. Yeah. They're things that kill us, take us away, yeah. uh, destroy us. We have zero power over them when it comes down to it. Yep. Um, and yet it's revealing that Jesus, who is God, does have yeah. so it's, it's, a, it's a call to trust, right? Yep. Yeah, we can fear these things because they have power over us, but more than that, we can trust what God himself has said. And yeah. So in his word, he tells us to come to him. Yeah. To trust him, even though trouble yeah. is coming in our way. We, we know that that's going to happen. Yeah. His followers are going to be persecuted and they're going to be killed, many of them. Yeah. They, they don't need to be afraid. Yeah. Because God is. Yeah. And that's, and that's a good way of picking up part of that, to put it that um, it says not only is it Jesus and his disciples in the boat, but there's other boats with them. This is a public event with eyewitnesses that's, you know, Mark can say this happened and people are saying, yeah, that we remember that that happened. Um, and so we too now are witness to the same thing. Uh, you know, we weren't in the boat with them, but we have an account of this as a fact that happened. And so the same call comes to us then. Are we going to trust? Do we have trust or not? Are we, you know, hearing that this happened? Uh, yeah. Reorienting ourselves, like you said, yeah. this morning from the way of everyone in the world. Yep. The fear of death has been controlled by the fear of death. And yeah. We no longer need fear. Yeah. Of that. Fear of the true God. Yeah. And it, and that and over these next four miracles, that gets on, you know, power over nature is great. Casting out demons, we've seen him do that. Sickness, okay, good. But bringing someone back from being dead, that's like, if the sailors are hopeless in a storm, how hopeless are parents when their child dies? There's no, the sailors might make it through by a, uh, what's the saying, a prayer and a something or another, you know, <laughs> a hope and a prayer. There we go. I mean, the sailors might have made it through and, and panicked a little too soon, but when the daughter's dead, there's no hope. There's no potential. Uh, it's the opposite of what, what was that song we sung in Sunday school this morning? Uh, uh, I am a possibility. It's possibility's gone. It's, um, 
it's the opposite of Maria from The Sound of Music. Right? <laughs> Sorry to keep picking on The Sound of Music, but saying there is nothing here for something to come from, and yet Jesus breathes life into that. Yeah. Well, let's turn to our time of prayer, and we believe, we do believe in prayer, so answering your question, Albert, that uh, we bring concerns to God. He answers some in entirely natural means. He answers others by saying no, and some he answers in means that we can't explain as mere humans. Uh, are there a